The opioid epidemic in America has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives over the last two decades, and chances are you can think of someone you know that has been touched by this type of addiction. I'm Prakash Chandran, and in this episode of Healthy Takeout, we'll talk about how opioid use has become so pervasive and what we can do to help those who are struggling. Here with us to discuss is Megan Gain, who has a master's in social work and is a licensed independent clinical social worker at Harrington Healthcare. Megan, really a pleasure to have you here. So I want to get right into it, and I'd love for you to explain, first of all, what an opioid is and how they started being so widely abused. Well, an opioid is a, it's a pain medication. Um, it's a, it's a, a, a a pill or a, or a medicine classified to treat pain, um, which is, you know, it, it's been around for a really long time, um, but, you know, generally wasn't a problem before, you know, the 1990s or so. And just to clarify a little bit, is an, opi- is an opioid like Tylenol or is it something that is more prescription given by a doctor? It's only given by prescription. Um, so they're much stronger than the pain medications you would find over the counter. Um, so opioids include, um, most people would know the opioids, Percocet, codeine, um, you know, and obviously the, the, the problem has become, um, the street opiates, which is heroin in general and now fentanyl. Right. So I recognize a lot of those names. Um, you mentioned that in the 1990s is when it really started becoming, um, a problem. And I know that most opioids, opioids besides the street ones um, come from a prescription by a doctor. So, um, you know, I'm trying to get a sense of why it started becoming such a problem in the 90s. Well, in the 90s, that is when um, OxyContin came onto the scene. So OxyContin was manufactured um, by Purdue Pharma in the early 1990s. Um, And at, at that time, my understanding is that there was a big kind of marketing push for um, the treatment of pain with opiates. Um, prior to that, doctors, knowing how addictive they are, really didn't prescribe that that many opiates, um, only with severe pain. Um, but in the 1990s, OxyContin came on the scene, and um, there was a huge marketing kind of boom, and uh, doctors, you know, bought into it uh, because of the amount of money they put into the marketing. So the prescriptions increased dramatically um, in the early 1990s for opiates. So that's that's kind of why, um, you know, opiates have, have emerged. Yeah, it's interesting what you say that, you know, and it's, it's eye-opening to see that the marketing not only works on us, but it works on the doctors and the type of uh, medications that they prescribe uh, their patients right, as well. Right. <laughs> so when they noticed that it was um, becoming an issue and there was that dependency uh, that was being fostered, um, you know, at, at what point do you feel like they started noticing and what did they start doing about it? Well, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the government got involved because there was there was way too many prescriptions being doled out pretty haphazardly. So when the government got involved, there was a big kind of pushback with the medical community to pull back on on the prescribing practices. Um, and what happens then is that the doctors were required to pull back on the prescribing practices, um, but people were already addicted. So when you know when you're getting a prescribed medication that your 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 body becomes physically addicted to, and then that's cut off, you have to find it elsewhere. 
Um, and that's when people really turn to the illicit drugs, um, you know, turning to the streets, turning to, you know, buy Percocet off the street or buy Oxycontin off the street or buy, ultimately, a lot of people ended up buying heroin because to buy the pills off the streets is a much higher street value for those and heroin is much cheaper. So, you know, it, it became a real, as we call it, an epidemic these days because it, the, the, the trend was to have to go to the street. Yeah, we always hear about the opioid crisis or the epidemic, but I think that you've um, broken it down well just to kind of explain how it happened, the government being involved, and that people that have fostered this dependency, they now have to turn to another source if they can't get it from their doctors. Um, right, so, right. You know, I think one of the things that I am curious about is when is it valid? You know, when is it valid to take an opioid? And, um, you know, I think as a patient, you kind of always wonder, like, you know, is my doctor prescribing me the right thing? Can you talk a little bit about those yeah. use cases? Well, I mean, that's that's a better question for uh, an MD or a, a, a medical prescriber. But, you know, pain is pain. Is pain. Um, and there there is a reason why opiates were, were manufactured in the first place, and that was to treat intensive pain. Um, surgeries, uh, you know, chronic pain. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I don't, I can't really answer the question when it's okay to prescribe, but that's at the doctor's discretion. Um, so, you know, I'm always leery of, you know, people starting prescription opiate, but, you know, in some cases, and in, in maybe even many cases, you know, the only thing that's going to take away some of that intensive pain is, is an opiate. I mean, it works. That's why it's around, right? It works for pain. So, um, but the length of prescription has to be really monitored. So, you know, you can't have somebody on opiates. It, it only takes about two weeks to get addicted to an opiate. So it, it, after two weeks, you really have to minimize the amount of opiates that you're prescribing, in my opinion. Um, just because people are, it's, it's an addictive product and it's, you're going to get addicted no matter what. So, um, you know, and there's ways to come off of those if you were on high doses to, to, to come off of it so that you don't experience withdrawal symptoms. But that's really at a doctor's discretion and with, a, with a doctor's oversight. Yeah, that's unbelievable that it takes only two weeks to get addicted uh, to an opiate. Yeah. So, um, and and you mentioned there are ways to kind of wean yourself off. Is is that called the uh, medication assisted treatment plan? What what is that called when you start doing that? Well, it's just called a, tri a titration of a, of medication. A medication assisted treatment plan, what we call MAT in, in the world of substance abuse, is um, is the medications that treat. Uh, opioid addiction, which is, you know, methadone, Suboxone, um, a newer product called Vivitrol. So the, that's if, if somebody's addicted to an opiate for an extensive amount of time or not even an extensive amount of time, uh, we often consider prescribing one of those meds to be able to um, make that transition to abstinence. You know, our goal is usually abstinence uh, easier because it's not it's a very difficult process to come off of an opioid cold turkey. <laughs> It's, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, it's, it, you get very, very sick. So um, we use a lot of medication-assisted treatment to be able to treat um, that transition. So if I'm going in for something and my doctor wants to prescribe me an opioid, would you say that there is a case um, where there might be a less addictive alternative that you can recommend? Again, that's, 
that's a good question for a doctor. Um, I think there's probably often cases of, of less per- addictive medications, but the regulations are so strict these days that if if the doctor decided that an opioid was appropriate for the treatment of, of a certain patient or their 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 illness, um, you know, it's they're only allowed to be to be given very short prescriptions at this point. It's all regulated, um, and it's all in a national database that any doctor can check. So if you go to a doctor and they don't prescribe you what you want, and you go to another doctor um, and they prescribe you what, what what you want, and then you go to another doctor, let's say, they can look it up to see if they, you've already been given a prescription for an opiate. Um, but there's, you know, there's there's other alternatives. I, you know, again, I, I, I'm not going to go into naming the what the alternatives are, but there's other alternatives to treat pain. And there's also many pain clinics now that will treat pain alternate, alternatively. So, you know, with acupuncture or with chiropractic or with, you know, uh, certain therapies. So, you know, that's becoming more popular as the epidemic is, you know, not going anywhere. Right, Megan. But I think, you know, what I'm hearing you say, and this is good, is that there is now a really big lens on this issue and um, an effort to try to combat this. So if a doctor does prescribe you an opioid, there's a very serious reason why they're doing so to really mitigate and manage your pain. And I think the advice that I'm hearing from you is that if they do prescribe it to you, you know, they're going to mention this as well, but it's important that you self-monitor the use because as you said, within just two weeks, you can become addicted. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I, I want to shift a little bit to a uh, friends and family member of someone that might be addicted. What might they do to help a person in this situation? Well, it's, it, addiction is a really complicated disease. Um, so, the best thing for a family member to do is to be supportive. What a family member should not do, that's probably the better question is what they shouldn't do, is push. So if somebody is, is addicted, whether it's because they, they got a prescription and they became addicted or because they used illicit drugs from the beginning, um, I can tell you, based on my experience, there's three things that need to happen um, for a person to be able to submit to treatment and actually buy into recovery. And that is they have to be ready, they have to be willing, and they have to have the resources available. The The most important thing, the most important piece of that is that they are ready. So if somebody is willing and wants to, you know, get sober, get clean, but they aren't ready, it's going to go nowhere. So if somebody, if a, pay, if a family member pushes somebody into treatment um, before they are ready, it's neither here nor there. It's gonna. It's it's likely not gonna make any difference, um, unless a you know a switch flips during their treatment and you know they start kind of taking things in and learning. But until then, until somebody's ready, there's not much you can do ex- except provide as much support as possible. Um, a lot of sometimes that gets translated into enabling. So family members, um, because they are they because out of fear, uh, will protect somebody that's using, I, I'll use the, I'll use the example of heroin. Um, if somebody's using heroin, as you know, the heroin, heroin, heroin that's around these days is basically fentanyl. Um, so it's much more, it's much more lethal than it used to be. So if somebody's using heroin and they want to, you know, a, a mother or father or 
sibling or friend want to protect them, oftentimes they will house them and they will provide money and everything just to kind of watch over them. But ultimately, that can be devastating because they're enabling the, the addiction. Um, on the flip side, if you if you push somebody into treatment and they're not ready, that can often result in kind of a rebellion and just saying, okay, I'm, I'm not doing any of this. I don't want to listen to you. I don't care. I've got to do this. And that's really the addiction talking. It's a brain disease. So when the addiction kind of takes over and 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 that person isn't well really really ready or willing to to take take suggestions or um maybe go into a treatment center then it it's it's almost and I hate to say this because it's a it's kind of sad but it's almost pointless um it's just a matter of kind of being there watching them protecting them as much as you can um supporting them and letting them come to a place on their own where they are ready. But to be clear, you know, um, I think in everything you said, in terms of supporting them, that means emotional support, not giving them the resources so they can go out and get correct. more. Is that correct? Well, you know, a lot of a lot of times, what families do is they they abandon because they're so scared, and that that oftentimes pushes somebody into into addiction further. Um, and and you know, as scary and as you know, uh, traumatic as it is to watch somebody you love be addicted, the worst thing you can do for them is say, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm walking away. Um, you have to set boundaries. You have to set limits. You have to, you have to be firm in those, but to walk away and just turn your back is in my opinion, one of the worst things you can do for an addict. Well, Megan, I'm so glad you're educating us on this today. I actually have a friend, um, and their family who's going through this. And, uh, I know you see so many cases and it's so much of what you said rings so true. You know, I think, unfortunately, you almost have to wait for them to hit rock bottom and to come to yeah. the realization themselves while giving them that loving and emotional support on the side yeah. just so they know that you're there for them. The real reality of, of addiction is not that people, you know, not that, that addicts are, are bad people or people with addiction issues are bad people or they don't have morals or values or anything like that. The The reality is, is that it's the exact opposite. They're usually hypersensitive. They usually um, take on other people's issues. They're usually kind and um, with good morals and values um, that have an inability to really attach to meaningful things, meaning relationships or vocational or maybe they don't have a spiritual connection or whatever. And so the way I think of addiction is that it's, it's really an attachment disorder. So instead of attaching to something that the general population thinks is meaningful, they attach to a substance. And, you know, and, and it, it deters them from attaching to anything that would be purposeful in their lives. Um, and the way people often gain long-term recovery is by learning how to develop meaningful attachments to things in their lives or things that they want in their lives um, and, and, and gain self-esteem and gain self-love to be able to um, not need to kind of escape themselves, which is really what every person with addiction issues MO is. Um, it's, it's, it's to escape themselves, to not kind of be, um, because they're not comfortable with that. So, you know, that's the, that's the tricky part about helping people get sober and helping people gain a life of recovery is, you know, it's, I often liken it to a, a baby being born, you know, when, when somebody gets sober after they've been using whatever it is for 10 years, 12 years, even two years, uh, you know, they don't have the skills to live 
You know, they don't have the skills to live when they get sober. So it's it's teaching people how to be and how to be present and how to um, gain some self-love and how to um, function like, quote unquote, normal people do. Um, that's that's all foreign to them. Well, I mean, that is such important advice, Megan. And I think just kind of the, the takeaway as we wrap up here is just, you know, to be as patient as possible, to be supportive. And like you said, to help them attach to something else, to provide them with, with something else, whether that, you know, whether that be love or just something detached from what they're used to in the addiction to that opioid. And uh, I think the patience is one of the, the strongest things that I'm hearing there because I know how frustrating it can get for, uh, you know, a, a friend or a family member watching a loved one go through this. So um, thank you so much again. And I really hope this information can help someone, um, you know, get the help that they need uh, to overcome this addiction. So uh, everyone, for more information, please visit HarringtonHospital.org. Our guest today has been Megan Gang. This is Healthy Takeout from Harrington Healthcare. I'm Prakash Chandran. Thank you so much for listening.